0: If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Well, good morning, church. Good to see all of you here this morning. It's a beautiful day outside. I love what's happening with the weather. It is so nice. So This is football kind of weather and uh, get out in the yard and do what you've been putting off all summer kind of weather. So hope you're having a great morning today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to get started there in just a moment. I mentioned uh, last week we're going to be starting a new series on Sunday mornings talking about the miracles of Jesus There are so many wonderful stories that are in the Gospels. And I mentioned also that John says there at the end of his Gospels, it would be impossible to write down all the things that Jesus did. But these things that are written are written for our learning, for our understanding, and for us to get a greater perspective of who Jesus was and what he did while he was on the earth. So each of these miracles that we're going to go through and talk about will fit into seven categories. That's on the, on the banners, and that's what we've had on the, the website. And today we want to focus specifically on his power over disease. So if you're there in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start with looking at verses 23 through 25. There are four different parts to the miracles that take place, and kind of in groups, we'll say. As London just read for us from uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, similarly, Matthew says some things in chapter 4 uh, to get, again, to get the context. Jesus just got baptized in, in chapter 3. He's led into the wilderness to be tempted, and now he's going to begin his ministry, and he'll very soon call his apostles to himself. But listen to these words, Matthew four, twenty-three through 25. Bible says, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis. Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Jesus' fame is growing. People are wanting to know, who is this Jesus? He is very similar in his style of preaching to John the Baptizer, who we see previously. But there's something special about Jesus' preaching in that he is also performing miracles. And people are starting to hear about it. As he's going from region to region, and we'll see four of those this morning, we'll see what's happening then and what we can take away from it. As you see him performing these miracles in Matthew chapter 4, he's come back to Galilee, he's about to call his disciples, and again in verse 24 it says, they brought all to him who were ill, those that had various diseases, had various sicknesses. And so there is a, that's a big group. It's impossible to know all of the different diseases that were present. But it seems that no matter how many there were, if they were brought to Jesus, they were healed. Jesus intentionally did this kind of ministry. He was proving himself to be the Christ. He was also allowing people to hear of his fame so they could be drawn to him. Matthew basically summarizes Jesus' preaching here from chapter 5. To chapter 7, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, but this happens right after this, and he's used this opportunity by doing these miracles to draw a crowd in. Now, I want you to notice as we continue through more miracles over the next few weeks, you'll see him bringing people together to preach to them, and while they're there, he'll feed them, he will multiply food. He's constantly worried about the people, he has compassion. For the people. But notice that his fame was so great that people as far as Syria were coming to hear him. That's the northern part of Galilee. That's a Roman province at the time. And word is traveling all around the nation. They were coming to him from Perea. This is beyond the Jordan River. That's all around Palestine. Everywhere, basically, at this point, except Samaria, was coming to see him, to hear him. And he was performing all kinds of miracles. And these are things that hadn't been done in Israel, not in many years had they seen this level of miracles. You ever thought about what it would be like if you lived in this day? It's one of the reasons why we're given the gospel, so that we might be able to kind of insert ourselves into the story. What would you think if you heard someone who was performing miracles? Now, you know what? If you heard it and you hadn't even seen it, hearing it might be enough. If you're sick or you have some kind of an ailment and you've went to doctor after doctor and you've, you've done all your, the, the medicines you can take, you, you've gone through all the sickness, maybe it's your child that's gone through all kinds of sickness and you've tried every doctor you know of, you've tried every remedy possible, and you hear a whisper of a man in a region further south from where you live, the cost of traveling the distance the, the ability to be able to go from one place to another is not as easy as it is today. They would walk or go on the back of a donkey to get to one region, and they would travel for miles and miles. And throughout all of this, these people coming from one region to the next, they would all go home and tell everybody about this man Jesus. Continue reading with me in Matthew, but turn over to chapter 12. And I want you to notice what Jesus is doing also in the regions of Judea and Samaria. I find it very curious that Jesus approaches his ministry in this way, and he will say the same to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, when he tells them to start off in Jerusalem and then go to Judea and Samaria and then to the end of the world. He's already done it. He's shown them the blueprint. So he comes now to Judea and Samaria. So in Matthew chapter 12, notice with me beginning at verse 14. It says, Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and a great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. You see that word all? That means every person that came was healed. He didn't do like these guys on TV who say, well, you must not have enough faith or you haven't given enough in your seed offering, okay? He says he healed, Matthew says he healed them all. Underline that, all. When Jesus does something, it's never halfway. He healed all their sick. He can handle all your problems. Keep reading. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory. And in his name Gentiles will trust. Now think about the context here. Jesus is just previous to this here in the the text. He has has healed a man with a withered hand. And then after this, we're going to see him healing someone who is uh, demon-possessed, a man who's mute and demon-possessed. Mark's account says that they had traveled through all of Galilee. They make their way now into Judea, and as they make their way into Samaria, it's a place that more than likely some of his disciples had never traveled. Or if they had, they took the long way around. No one wanted to go into this region. Now we also know that they go through uh, the area of Jerusalem and Idumea, which is Tyre and Sidon, we'll get to in just a moment. And Jesus is drawing these people, but notice he's drawing not just Jews, he's drawing Gentiles. Jesus' ministry is unlike any they had ever seen. You couldn't catch a rabbi in Gentile territory. Rabbis would not take off and go into a Gentile community and say, I'm here to build a synagogue. They wouldn't do that. The rabbis usually kept to themselves. People came to them. But Jesus is turning the table here. A good teacher doesn't sit in the building and wait for somebody to come hear him. A good teacher goes and finds people to teach. And Jesus is out. He's doing the miracles. He's doing the teaching. And he'll go anywhere where there's a crowd. And now... He's making his way into these areas that are becoming a little uncomfortable to the apostles. Luke records that around this time, he preaches the Sermon on the Plain. That's not a 747, okay? He preaches the Sermon on the Plain. There's this long stretch of land. Some say it's very similar. You can see this in Matthew, very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, but they're probably two different messages And in this, he seems to be directing his thoughts in the Sermon on the Plain and Gospel of Luke towards a Gentile audience. His message was radically different. His approach was radically different. And in order to make an impact on the world, you can't just save those that look like you and talk like you and act like you and have the same background as you. Ministry is about reaching all those, all those that were in need. So Jesus' ministry and healing was to heal all the sick. Preaching the gospel was to be all the nations. There is not to be one single soul that's left out. At the end of the book of Acts, we're told that the gospel had spread around the whole world. And we often think that since it did it that one time, then That's enough. But the great commission that was given to those apostles right before Jesus ascended into heaven is written in our Bibles to remind us that the commission is also for us to ensure that the gospel goes to the whole world, to all people. Our goal goal as a church should be what can we do to reach more people? And we start in our communities, and then we branch out to our county, to our state, and to the whole world. Jesus' approach is radically different. He's able to lay aside his political differences. You know, Gentiles and Jews didn't just not eat alike, and they didn't just not look alike. They voted differently. They acted differently. They partied differently. There's a lot that they did that most Jews would say, I don't want to have anything to do with this Gentile culture. Now, Jesus does tell his disciples, you need to start in Jerusalem. When you start your ministry, you start with the Jews first. But eventually, by his example, it needed to get to the rest of the world. They were going to have to move past economic lines. They were going to have to move past cultural lines. They're going to have to move past linguistic lines. Remember, they're going to get the power of the speaking in tongues in Acts chapter 2. He didn't give them speaking in tongues so they could teach a French class, right? He gave them the ability to speak in tongues so they would go to the foreign nations, It's not so that they can learn Spanish and French, and you know what I'm saying. They didn't have those languages then. But the point is, he gives them the languages so they can go teach the whole world. And if they had kept it in Jerusalem, if they had refused to go out, there are so many people that would have never heard the gospel. Gentiles worship different religiously. There are a lot of differences between Jews and Gentiles, and Jesus breaks down the barriers. And I ask then if Jesus is breaking down the barriers of cultural lines and political lines and cultural lines and language lines and geographical lines. Why on earth would we want to put a barrier up? Our goal is to reach all people, especially those that are different than us. The real key to this is the prophecy of Isaiah that's sandwiched in here in this text. Matthew says this is what Isaiah talked about. He says it's all going to happen because of Jesus. That Jesus' message, the message of Jesus dying on the cross is not just for the salvation of the Jews. And in the story in John chapter 4, when he approaches the woman at the well, she asks him about this. Do we worship in Jerusalem or do we worship around this mountain, Mount Gerizim, where I've been worshiping my my whole life as a Samaritan? And Jesus says it's about to happen and now is. It's not going to matter which mountain that you worship on as long as you worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus is breaking down those barriers. And when people are sick, it doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter where they come from. And that means both those that are physically sick and those that are spiritually sick. So Jesus moves on in to Tyre and Sidon. Turn over with me just a couple more chapters to Matthew 15. In Matthew 15, beginning at verse 21, it says, And Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. You see, he's getting further away from home. You want to do real ministry? You want to test your faith? Get further away from your comfort zone says that he goes out to Tyre and Sidon, verse 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on me. O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. And he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. And he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. See, the crowds in Judea and Samaria were large. He travels deep into the territory of Gentiles and pagans. He's going to the coastal cities of the Mediterranean, and he's encountering new people. And some of these people, his disciples, were probably very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable around. And this woman now is annoying them. She's following them around, crying out, Lord, have mercy. Recognizing Jesus' power to not only heal, but to forgive. Forgive to walk with her physically and spiritually and emotionally, she would have done anything to ensure that her child was healed. And in this teaching to Tyre and Sidon, these are the religious epicenters of paganism. There's an interesting story here. This cypro phoenician woman, there's, a, uh, there's another lesson. We'll, we'll have to save it for another day. But focus on the people. These people hadn't heard anything like what Jesus had taught. They hadn't seen. It's not to see where Jesus grew up. This is not the city where he spent most of his time in ministry. And verse 30 says the great crowds continue to come to him. He brings the lame, the blind, they bring the crippled, they bring the mute, They bring and he, they lay them at his feet and he heals them. He's constantly doing miracles. But there's something about this one woman, there's something about her story Maybe he's moved further east because of her. You ever noticed how Jesus treats her? Does it bother you? You Ever thought about it? Jesus begins by saying, I'm not supposed to help you. Now, why is he in this region? Because he's coming to help. What's the story about? What's the purpose of it? Why does Matthew include this in the story? Because it looks like Okay, it looks like on the surface that Jesus doesn't want to pay her any attention. On the surface, it looks like Jesus is intentionally ignoring her. And on the surface, He's comparing her to a dog. Now why would Jesus do that? He's only saying what the disciples thought. And the woman in faith comes back and says, Hey, you don't want to give it to the dogs. Could you give it to the puppies? It could the crumbs, could the, could the miracles that you're performing, could, just, could you just, if you're, if you're giving bread to the children of Israel, could you just let me take one little morsel, one little scrap that falls down on the ground for the little puppies to eat? Could you just, Jesus, could you just treat me like that little puppy that's just starving for a morsel of bread? And Jesus reveals that the purpose of the story was to provoke her to faith. And he does exactly what she asks. It's not meant to be derogatory. It's not meant to be harmful. It was meant to show the thoughts of the apostles, who earlier in context, in another story just a few chapters prior, are pushing kids away. You Don't let the kids come to Jesus. They don't let those lepers come to Jesus. You don't, don't let those people that are sick with all these diseases come to Jesus. Demon-possessed, people don't bring them to Jesus. See, Jesus is trying to draw all men unto him, and his disciples are deciding who can come. His disciples are determining who's allowed to get close to the master. That's not my place. I'm not a gatekeeper for the church. My goal is to tell people about Jesus Christ. My goal is to share the message of hope and love with the world. And when he draws all men unto him, I better get right, church. And I better be on board with it. We are not to screen people out. We're not to choose. The church doesn't choose. In Acts chapter 2, when the church is established, it says that God added unto them. We don't vote on your salvation here. There isn't anybody that's going to say, well, let's, let's take a vote and see if we can get a majority to see if you can make it in. Some churches do that. That's foreign to the New Testament. In the New Testament church, the church that I read about in the Bible, all people are welcome. We don't screen people out. This was about the apostles learning a valuable lesson. If you think of her as a dog, couldn't you think of her as an adorable little puppy, you know? You know? Could you not just for a moment realize that you're trying to keep all the master's bread to yourself and there are people starving to death out there. There are people that want to hear the good news and you and I have the message of hope and salvation. We've become New Testament Christians. We know what the Bible says. Our goal is to take that message and give it to someone else. And it's why he's going to do these miracles in all these regions because very soon... He's going to breathe on them the Holy Spirit. And they're going to go out and start performing these miracles. And isn't it interesting, too, that on the one occasion in Matthew 17, when they're up on that Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, Peter, James, and John, and they come down off that mountain, and here's this boy who throws himself into the fire, and they've brought the Father's brought him to, to Jesus' disciples and said, Please heal him. He's demon-possessed. And they couldn't do it. And Jesus asks, You know, What's going on? They say, well, we couldn't do it. And he heals the man's son. And then they say to him, how come we couldn't do it? And he says, because your face is too weak. By prayer and fasting, you can get these things done. They gave up too easily. They quit. They threw in the towel. Sometimes... In the moments of great difficulty, God is waiting to use us in some way. No matter what trial we're facing, he's going to use that to bless us and to bless other people. we got to get out of God's way. He's trying to work something for good here. And the disciples have better get on board. So where do they go from now? Picture this. Jesus has gone to the Galileans. He's gone to the Edomites. He's gone to the Canaanites. He's gone to the Phoenicians, the Samaritans. You name the nations around there, they'd all heard of him, and he had healed many of their sick. He comes back to Jerusalem. And in chapter 21, it tells us in verses 12 through 17, he's going he's to try to do some miracles here. John 21, beginning of verse 12. Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who brought and sold, bought and sold in the temple, he overturned the tables and money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it's written, my house shall be called the house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, They were indignant and said to him, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus says, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Then he left them and went out to the city of Bethany and lodged there. Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. He's sickened by what his people have chosen to do. He is disgusted by what they've turned the temple into. And he changes, he decides to to run them out. In that moment, the compassionate, the loving Jesus steps forward into the temple and says, this is not what the house of praise is supposed to be. You see, he's sitting in there and, and bartering over animals who had a spot or a blemish and getting a better one. Or, or being able to use your tax money to be able to, to, to do this and to do that and be able to provide certain sacrifices that were necessary, getting through all the rules and making sure your money is changed from a Roman tax to a, or a Roman coin to a Jewish coin to be able to use in service. They had turned that temple into a place of business, and Jesus turned it into a hospital for the sick. You know, we all, always read that. How many times have we read about Jesus clearing the temple, Right? What did he do? He brought in the sick people. Sometimes, in order to get our attention, Jesus has to get some things out of our life. Sometimes some people out of our life, some influences out of our life. There has to be a purge in order for good things to happen. And in the temple, they needed a cleansing. And Jesus provides the cleansing. And it's something that his apostles will say, when we saw it, we thought about the zeal of the Lord. That's what we thought about. And Jesus kicks all of them out. And then he now turns it into a hospital where he's healing the sick. Think about all the good. That could have been done if the Jews who were in that part of the temple had started thinking about spiritual things instead of financial and physical things. There's a lot of good work we do as a church. There's a lot of money that's spent on various works that we support, some really good stuff. But the church is not just about taking collection and dispersing it. It's about reminding us, when we give back, we give to the Lord, but we still have hands and feet if we think that a contribution on Sunday does all the work that's necessary, then we're mistaken. There are opportunities that we have to do. We have to bring people in. We have to bring people into the church and say, hey, we want to encourage you to come in and worship with us and have Bible study with us. And we want to tell you about all the good things that God's doing. Let me tell you about what Jesus has done for me. And, and he, we draw them in. This is, this is something they weren't ready for they're going to kill him for it. They're going to kill him for it. So what is the stories, these stories, what do they mean? Just real quickly. These stories are in our Bible, first of all, because it wants to remind us that God loves a broken world. God loves broken people. God loves those that are hurt. God loves those who have a contrite heart. He wants to heal them. He wants to restore them, but not just physically. He wants to restore them spiritually. It's really hard when someone heals you of a terrible disease to not be thankful for it, to not want to know a little bit more about him. In John chapter 9, we're going to see that with the man who's born blind. He immediately tried to find out who he was. He wants to find out more about this guy. Who healed me? What, What do we know about him? Jesus didn't only heal a few sick people. It says in these cases he healed all those who came to him. The huge multitudes of people that came to him broken, they left healed. And I'll tell you this morning, as you read these words, if you are broken, doesn't matter how broken, how badly, or who hurt you, or how long it's been going on, God is the healer of broken people. God longs to heal you. And to make you well. And the Gospel of Matthew says over and over, He healed all of them. He healed all of them because He had compassion. If you're broken, God loves you. Second of all, God loves all nations. There's a reason why I put these four scriptures back to back to show in the Gospel of Matthew, He is reaching the whole world. He made his way into so many nations and the disciples would take the gospel even further. It's like Jesus is extending that baton and the disciples are reaching back to take off in this sprint. And you and I should be there to take the baton from those that have gone before us. Move the game along, if you will. Move it forward. The hope, not just of Isaiah, which we read, but the hope of all the prophets was that the entire world would be reached, that the entire world would come to know the Creator. Our goal is to teach people the good news of Jesus Christ. God loves the nations. He wants to save the nations. We should be ashamed if we don't want to take the gospel to certain people. I love our missionaries. I love our mission work. There's a lot of good stuff that can be done. We talked a little bit about this in class this morning, but if you really want to learn how the world operates... Get out of the classroom. Get out of the pew. Mingle with people. Do a mission trip. Go somewhere overseas, it'll open your eyes. You'll come back thinking, I don't know all the things that I have. I don't know how I, I could operate like that. I, we have so many blessings we don't even think about this morning. I bet we opened our pantry for breakfast this morning and we had a few options. Some of us had made several options. There are a lot of people today that are getting up hungry They don't have a home to live in. They don't have a car to drive. They don't have clothes to wear. They don't have good health to get up and walk around. Jesus shows us we should love all people because God loves all people. Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, Edomites, tax collectors, prostitutes, drunkards, all walks of life. God loves them all. Jesus loves them all. And now you ready, church? We better love them all. We better love every one of them. Now that doesn't mean I have to like what they do. It doesn't mean that I have to embrace or, or condone the things that they're doing. But I've got to learn, if I'm going to be like Jesus, to love people. Got to love people. And it, it may take some work because there are some people that they just bless them. They may be hard, hard to love. But if Jesus could learn to love the nations, I better learn to love the nations. It doesn't matter to me this morning, male, female, young, old, black, white, Republican, Democrat, Auburn or Alabama. I don't care. We're all the same. doesn't matter whether you live here or there or anywhere. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. You better love every last one of them and the people that you see each day. The people you encounter, the neighbor next door, the person at the checkout line, the teacher in your class, the student has the locker next to you. Regardless, love all people. Galatians 3 and verse 28 says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And our goal is to see our similarities. And finally, God loves healing why Jesus do it so much? Because he loved it. He loved it. He had compassion for people, and he longed to heal people. He couldn't help it. There are times he performs miracles, like with Lazarus, that you wonder if he hadn't raised Lazarus from the dead, if he'd have had a few more years before they crucified him. But he had such compassion. That was the comment. See how he loved him. Weeping at his tomb knowing he had the power and the ability and would soon raise him from the dead. God loves healing. He loves healing emotionally. He loves healing people mentally and spiritually and physically. Psalm 147, verse 3, God heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. You ever had a, As a kid, an accident, maybe you had a bike wreck, I had several of those, and you come home, and you're scarred, and you're scratched, and you're bleeding, and mom takes a little bit of peroxide, cleans it, gets you a nice little Star Wars Band-Aid on there, maybe you got Hello Kitty, I don't know what it is. And mama puts a little bit of Neosporin on there. And she puts that band-aid on that scar. And if your mama was like my mama, sometimes she'd lean down and she'd kiss that little boo-boo. God loves to heal. He's in the business of healing. He's in the business of encouraging broken people Bringing people back. I encourage you today. I don't know where you are in your walk. I don't know how broken you are. And I don't know what problems you may be fe- facing, whether it's physical or spiritual. But I know one thing, that God loves you. And there are people in the pews in this room that love you too. And so if you're hurting, you've got a church family that's ready to help bind up those wounds. And if we could pray for you today, if you're willing to confess that sin, please do. Please do. And we will tell you, we're all in the same boat. If you're not a New Testament Christian, if you've never been covered by the blood of Jesus, remember that Jesus is coming again. And I've got to do what's necessary in order to be saved. And I want to be saved spiritually. I I don't want to be condemned in eternity. I want the reward of eternal life. That means that I've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. If I'm here, if you're here this morning, you must believe that He's the Son of God. You've heard the message today about how good God is. If you believe it, then be willing to repent of your sins, the past things that you've done, and know that God is willing to forgive you and bind up those wounds. Confess the precious name of Jesus and be immersed in the blood of Christ. And you can walk a new walk. And then you and I can get past our brokenness and go help others deal with their brokenness. We've got a job to do. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldswrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldswrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus.